Hello, my name is Alexandra Baton-Bailey and welcome to the Teaching Beyond the Podium podcast series. This podcast is hosted by the Center for Teaching Excellence at the University of Florida and our guests share their best tips, strategies, innovations, and stories about teaching. Today, our guest is Cindia Rivera Jimenez, who's a lecturer in the departments of chemical engineering and engineering education. Cindia came to the University of Florida in 2016 after an interesting and lengthy journey. Well, I started my journey as a faculty uh, in 2011. I was an assistant professor in food science and technology at the University of Puerto Rico in Mayagüez. So I came here to the state because my husband got an appointment uh, at UF. So I had the opportunity to kind of negotiate being hired at UF as a spouse hired. But at that point in my life, I didn't have any role models. I was actually scared to be judged or be, uh, you know, there was no model for me that I knew of people that were successful as a spouse hire. I was really afraid to be hired like that. So I talked with my husband. I said, you know what? I'm going to get another job. And I was able to get a job at Santa Fe College. So I, I, was, I became a chemistry teacher there. So in 2016, I joined UF finally. It's been a long, a long journey to uh, be the assistant director of a capstone design program, which is called IPPD. And there I transferred to becoming a lecturer. So there I was more in an admin position but I was missing my classroom so much that I decided to uh, also to apply for this lecturing position. Cynthia never thought about diversity and inclusion before she came to the United States. In part, it was because she never really felt like an outsider before she got here. One classroom experience in particular helped her to better understand some of the cultural undercurrents and become an inclusivity champion. Diversity, inclusion, and equity was a very weird concept for me because it wasn't until I arrived to the United States that I actually felt like a minority. So in Puerto Rico, we are we are all pretty much the same. We have people of different colors and we do have racism and we do have uh, things about um, economic status and all that. But I didn't feel that I, 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 was, I didn't belong, right? That people would recognize me, oh, you're a woman, you're a Latina, you're all of those classifications that you have when you get here to the United States. So that was one of the biggest shock for me to try to understand the jargon about diversity, inclusion, and equity. In the classroom, though, how I connect that was that first I had a student that he... uh, he was very mean in my classroom. I, I tried to provide feedback in one of my capstone design teams about how he should conduct himself in the meetings. Uh, we meet with them. Uh, I, I, I meet with his team every week. And I remember he got so mad at me that he called me very purposely, Miss Rivera. And you may say, this is silly, right? Why she will be mad at being called Miss Rivera? So I'm, I'm very clear for my students to tell them, hey, I do have some expectations on the way you should address myself. So this is my name, Cindy Maria Rivera Jimenez. I have four names. Pick Rivera, which is the one that I like to use. And you should always refer to me as professor and as a doctor, right? Which is uh, my title. And these students use the Miss as a way to minimize the uh, it was just disrespectful in front of his uh, teammates. It, this was a team composed of all males. So I mean that was a negative experience that for me was what did I did wrong in my classroom, right? So this student actually responded to me in this way, tried to use my that I'm a female, right? Uh, I, I always ask myself, did he will tell this to a male professor? He will say Mr. Rivera, or he will just always address 
his faculty as doctor or professor. So it's not that I, it was bad experience. I think it was an experience for me to learn what are the constraints that I have as a female professor in engineering and how to better explain my students what are the appropriate ways to conduct our meetings. With this first experience in inclusivity fresh in her mind, Cynthia walked into another classroom situation that inspired her to take steps to make her classrooms inclusive for all. The second experience that I think it was positive and it was really hard for me is that I met with uh, teams. Once again, uh, these are one-on-one meetings that I have every week, so I know them very well. So I have one student that uh, I didn't know exactly what was her gender. So it wasn't clear for me. So her name in the roster was a female name, but she would dress up in a way that it was not clear for me how to address to her. So at that point in life, right in my career, I didn't know about pronouns and, you know, how to be inclusive and make sure that the students feel welcome to tell me how I, how they want to be addressed to. And I mean, it was so hard for me. I read so much how to ask this student how she wanted to be addressed. It took me three weeks. I was so anxious. I was reading blogs. I was reading so many things until one day I just said, hey, I, I want to ask you this. I've been struggling to ask you this. What pronoun do you prefer? And she just started crying and she hugged me because it was the first time somebody asked her that. And she was a she, okay? Uh, But it touched my heart that I am struggling, but they are also struggling. So for me, you know, it was a hard situation, a struggle, but I learned from it. and, and, And I think that's why I feel so passionate about it. Now, Cynthia's teaching and mentoring of other teachers centers entirely around putting forth the best effort to meet students where they are. I have heard professors saying, ah, but it's so hard for me to remember the gender. And I've been, I have told them, imagine that person that is passing through all of this, that she or he has to actually tell you and correct you on the way this person wants to be referred as. So just try just try because it's a burden. It's more than a burden to be telling people how do you feel. Like if that person told you once, just try your best. It's okay if we make mistakes. I mean, I do make mistakes sometimes because I speak Spanish, and for me, conjugating the pronouns sometimes is hard. So if it's they or them, I mean, and I tell them that. Like I, I tell them it's sometimes hard, but I'm gonna try my best to make it, like, to do it. So. So what steps has Cynthia taken to ensure and promote inclusivity, diversity, and equity for all? In broad terms, she worked to become aware and educated in all of these topics. So I I started recently to maybe uh, have a voice in this conversation. So part of having a voice is actually reading a lot. I try to read as much as I can because, I mean, we're... We're professors, right? So if we want to cover a topic, we want to make sure that we uh, understand a little bit of the jargon. So I'm an engineer, so social sciences is a very challenging topic and understanding how that is collected, how people are gathering statistics on humans and behaviors. So that's the first part, right? Trying to understand a little bit better the jargon of diversity, inclusion, and equity. So that strategy is, is about my awareness as a person, right? What are my biases? What things I may need to learn more what communities I'm not exposed to. So if you're starting as a faculty I think, and you're trying to understand these type of issues, looking at yourself, I think is the first step to actually uh, move forward in this direction. 
Cynthia also used her wealth of experience in course reviews with Quality Matters to guide her work and effort in her own courses. In terms of teaching strategies, I mean, life have moved me around so many times that when I was at Santa Fe, I was trying to get expertise on designing course, instructional design. So... There, I was actually trained as a reviewer for Quality Matters. So basically, in Quality Matters, you learn how to do recommendations and suggestion and evaluate courses to help the professor see the course from the student's perspective, right? How the information is being communicated to the students and if the student is actually understanding the expectations of the student of the course. So that experience for me was really good because it actually pushed me to see courses outside my discipline. I was able to see courses in English. You cannot imagine many courses that I never thought that, wow, I can learn from this. Things as simple as, wait, we can have area assignments you have a grading policy, area assignments you have clear instructions and steps to accomplish. If you're submitting a report, giving examples a rubric so they can know the criteria of evaluation. So those tiny details help me to understand that I'm teaching and I have to make sure that I don't hide my curriculum and make it very explicit to my students to actually uh, understand what are my expectations. Finally, she tries to make sure that her classes remain student-centered and that she is available for her students at all times. This involves a lot of self-reflection and review of her own teaching and classes. The third strategy that I have used is actually serving my students. So, I mean, when you teach a class, it's a prototype. So your class, I mean, in my opinion, my class will never be the best as it could be, especially in the early stages when I'm teaching it. So I'm getting there in such a way that I can get us, collect as much data from my students to actually improve my class. So I do like to reflect at the end of the semester. So I created surveys to try to understand from my students what are their perspective. Questions like, please provide feedback for your instructor on our weekly interaction and what can I help you to better succeed in your team? So these are questions that are not in Gator Evil, right? You cannot get that from the evaluation from from the uh, call, the university, but these are specific questions about my interaction with them and that I want to know. Uh, I also have questions about, for example, after having this experience with the project, what would you have wished that you knew before the course? And I provide examples like team communication, team dynamics, chemical engineering, technical content, any other. And it's impressive to see things that I never thought about. Like they really want to learn better how to get or rest a specific content, uh, concept in the class. Class, and I thought I was teaching that, but maybe I wasn't explicit about it. So it's a way for me to reflect on my how inclusive I am. But at the same way, I think it, it makes my course very well designed, right? But design takes time. It's not like you're going to design a course the first time it's going to be the best at the beginning. So Cynthia suggests that inclusivity, diversity, and equity as classroom practices are not something that can be mastered in one fell swoop. Instead, as instructors, we can start small or with training. There's different type of trainings that you can get. I get trained from my uh, professional organization on how this topic applies to the industry where my students are going to be hired. So I'm looking at this topic from the future perspective of my students. I, I got involved in my professional organization because the thing is that 
I can talk about diversity, inclusion, and equity, but if I don't use the case studies and the example of my community, I will not be able to move people. Like, I need to talk about the statistics of STEM, uh, statistics of engineers, statistics of students that were losing along the, the, the university. You know, I need to actually provide that information because if not, I will be only preaching to the choir and I will not be able to make somebody struggle. And I said, when people struggle with this topic, is the opportunity for them to become aware, to have that on, like, mm-hmm. that bad sensation that, oh, I'm bad, I'm a bad person. No, you're not a bad person. We just need to become aware. You know, having biases do not do not really relate on goodness or badness. Of, it's just a process for us to become aware and change those habits and maybe become uh, better. So I would suggest just to reach out to your professional organization and, 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 and get this training. One way to overcome the challenges of teaching inclusively is to join a learning community uh, I also try to get trained here on campus. For some of the learning communities that we're creating here on campus, I'm part of one of those. So I actually try to get exposed to these type of topics, even that I'm not maybe the best person to talk about it, but I just want to hear and learn from other people what they're doing. Read, get exposed to the conversation, and understand your role. I think one of the things is that you as a professor needs to understand your role, and your role is to actually try to be ready to receive students that have multiple experiences, multiple backgrounds, uh, multiple skills. Like there's so many diversity in our students that provide richness. It's not a disadvantage. It's human capital that we have there and they have so much potential. So um, I may look things from a very empathetic way. Like I do believe in my students. Some of them may need more help than others, but I believe that they all can reach their success right in the classroom. You can start small by making little changes in the course syllabus or materials or even the activities that give all students a voice and make them feel heard. If you're going to start with something, just start with your syllabus. Your syllabus can have maybe an inclusive uh, statement where you can tell the students that you do receive like, uh, you know, just an inclusive uh, statement. I can give you uh, references in the future if you want to. And there's also training here. So if you want to come to our trainings, you're more than welcome. The other thing that you can do is that when you pass your roster for the first time, that first day of the class, and if you want to be very inclusive, use last names because sometimes the roster do not reflect the preferred name of the student. So if you want to start with the last names like that, you're able to pass your roster, but at the same time, you're respecting those people that do not identify that gender gender that is described in the uh, in the admissions. I want to say that the admissions at UF do not allow you to provide any other gender, only female and male. I'm passing through the process because I'm taking classes. So it's not that because it's not because the students didn't report it, it's that they're limited by two binary options. So you have to, that's just an advice, right? That you're aware that it's not, they cannot actually choose anything else besides female and male at this point. So that will be one of the quickest ways to maybe start a syllabus statement on uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity, and then uh, your syllabus and get trained on in instructional design, any teaching practice like active learning, uh, clickers, anything that you can use to include the voices of your students will be the second step. And that will depend on the class. I'm not going to get into the details. Cindy's long-term investments and effort in classroom inclusivity 
may make these classroom changes sound easy, but she's very frank and explains that her greatest struggle in and out of the class is fear. I think my biggest challenge is fear. Fear to stand up and say explicitly that I believe in inc diversity, inclusive, uh, inclusivity, and equity is a fear to have a voice because these topics may not fit into the engineering curriculum, is fear to, uh, to be the students confuse my compassion with weakness. So, and, and those things are not even related to my class. It's about me as a person, about my awareness, about who I am, what is my voice into this, this conversation. So that's my biggest challenge. And I mean, when I, I feel when I'm struggling, I just try to study and read and hear stories and get involved with a community that may speak the same language as the one that I'm, uh, I'm trying to understand. And getting involved, honestly, is the only way that I have learned how to actually pass that fear. But I've, I still feel afraid every semester. I have, like, I feel, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I This semester I started doing um, team dynamics and team charter, and it was just 50 minutes of my class, and I was so afraid to implement that intervention in my classroom because I thought that it wasn't engineering enough for my class. However, I have received so much good feedback from my students about that topic. They have been able to manage their team dynamics better. I had less problems than previous semesters. So it's challenge, but at the same time, opportunities, right? Cynthia has found that not everyone is supportive of the strategies and changes she's implemented. In fact, over the years, she's encountered quite a bit of pushback. I think this is like the fear that every professor has. Uh, so I have received a little bit of pushback sometimes. Uh, not everybody understands why I'm talking about this topic in the classroom. Uh, particularly our students, not everyone think that it's important to talk about social relationships. And the other thing is that my class happened at the last year of the senior year. So there's nothing I'm actually teaching them. Is What I'm teaching them is how to apply the concepts to projects. So it's a, a capstone uh, class. So I think I think that's one of the things that is being it's been interesting, right? Because in the classroom, some people receive it very well. Some people is very thankful that I'm doing this conversation. But there are other students that are struggling. And, and those students that are struggling are the ones that I probably will talk more about and, and understand and hear, active hearing, right? Why do you think it's uncomfortable? Why do you think this doesn't apply when you go to the industry or maybe your PhD? Why do you think this is not important? And having difficult conversation is a whole skill, right, that we are not trained as a faculty necessarily to have. And they're, they don't know either like, how to do it, right? They're, they're, if I don't know, they don't know. Like, we are all learning to have these difficult conversations. As teachers, many of us have very specific turning points or moments that are so marking that they change us as educators. My biggest moment was when I was trying to explain my students that are from Santa Fe and they're from diverse backgrounds, different experiences, old students, young students, people from dual enrollment. And I tried to explain the concept, which is the basic concept of chemistry, which is the mole. But I went to the class very excited when I was going to go and explain it. And I realized nobody understood what I was saying. I went to my office and I crashed. I like, 
what happened? This is so simple. So for me, it was an aha moment because instead of saying the students didn't get it, my question was, what can I do to make them get it? Why do I get it and why they don't? So it was my first opportunity to go to the literature to get strategies of things that have worked. I put together that in one night, an activity, an active learning activity. And it was so active. Everybody was uh, working on a, like a handout that I provided. I provide, I gave one student a bag of barley or it was lentils, I think. And I asked I ask him, please start counting what you have here. Well, I start doing the activity on the board. And suddenly while he finished, we finished the calculations and the number was pretty much the same. So it was a beautiful moment. The students enjoyed enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I learned that if you want to become a good teacher, you need to learn about how to teach. So that's the moment that I said, you know what? Engineering education, right now that I'm in the engineering school, is something that I want to pursue because it's not about me, it's about them. You can absolutely tell that Cynthia is a passionate instructor who loves teaching. Just, I think, the mentoring component of teaching, like, I, I, I think that I had really good mentors and teachers that believe in me more than I actually believe in myself. So I remember faculty telling me, you have failed in, he, in this, but it doesn't mean that you are not smart, that you cannot do it. That opportunity that I had of having that kind of teacher make me feel that I should be the same and pay it forward for other people. One of the best things about teaching, I have always thought, is getting to see the amazing things that our students accomplish. We get to see their stories unfold. When they email me back saying, <laughs> Professor Rivera, I thought your class was really hard, but now I realize that I learn a lot and I'm using this in my company. I'm using this, you know, when they come back to me and keep me posted, right? right? I always end up the semester saying, please, if you're famous or you're not famous, remember to come back and email me to tell me how you are. And they do. They actually email me and tell me, yeah, we're here. I'm almost finishing my PhD. Some of them I continue to mentor. There's a couple of them that are going to do their PhD. So I continue to mentor. So I think that's one of the things I love the most, not now, but in the future, how they come back and tell me how much, I know, they're succeeding. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Teaching Beyond the Podium podcast series. For more helpful resources developed by the Center for Teaching Excellence at the University of Florida, visit our website, teach.ufl.edu. We're happy you joined us, and we hope to see you next time for more tips, strategies, and ideas on teaching and learning at the University of Florida.